Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Pastor. Dr. Robin. I'm in your house. You are in my house. I want to run up the stairs and say hello to you, but we have to keep our sound separate because otherwise we're just echoing versions of one another. Yeah. Yeah, but yes. I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be working with you. We have charted out the rest of the year for our podcast. Very excited about that. And we've got more work to come. We, we have lots to do. We have a whole week to get it done. Inevitably, just like always when we're together, we will shake our heads at the end of our time together and say, oh, if we had only had X amount more hours to do this work, it would have been so much better. But it's still such a joy to have you here, to have you hanging out with um, my partner and I and our puppy dog and the cats and my bourbon collection and all the things. <laughs> yes. In fact, I don't know if you saw my text from earlier, but I want to, I'm looking at it. I want to try Heaven's Door. Yes. You are welcome to try the Heaven's Door. It's really yummy. It's really yummy. So we're doing a thing today. We're doing a thing today. We're really excited. Um, we have a great guest on. Um, can I ask you a question about current events really quick, though, before we yeah. dig into yeah. this um, remarkable conversation we're about to have? Um, have you been following what's going on with the Southern Baptist Convention? Well, I will tell you that I had a meeting last week at the JW Marriott where all the Southern Baptists were convening. Ah, okay. <laughs> so I was in the cloud of witnesses last week. Um, and I, I, I know some things that are going on, but I have a feeling that you're talking about something specific and maybe I, maybe I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Well, I mean, I think I am, I am more speaking of the election of the um, new uh, leader of the Southern Baptists. Of the cult. Of, <laughs> of the cult. Um, you know, in, in a very interesting way, um, the Southern Baptists uh, decided that moderate and cautious was better than extremist and uh, QAnon style theory leadership, uh, which doesn't in any way give me optimism around their potential, uh, a potential shift in any of the work that they're doing in the world. But it has definitely created a schism in the denomination when it comes to a kind of a, a self-identity and an identity complex of sorts of them trying to figure out who they are now mm. that this vote went the way that it did. And so 
I, you know, as someone who is in the middle of a denominational nightmare with the United Methodist Church and really just kind of, we're all just sitting on the sidelines waiting until we get together at General Conference to split this denomination so that we can go our separate ways. It's been really interesting to watch the Twitter feed on the Southern Baptist Convention and and, and see um, the variety of conversations happening around this identity crisis that the SBC finds itself in. I feel like this is a recurring theme for the SBC. Mm -hmm. Um, It was over race in the 70s, over women in the 80s and 90s, over LGBTQ people now. Now also it's about sex abuse, you know, so I I feel like um, obviously the organization has um, not just a thorn in its flesh, but the plumb line of the organization is toxic and there's a there's a fundamental problem that that needs to be um you know dealt with but unfortunately because of their perspective on the bible and being inerrantists you know um they keep repeating the same problem it just is a different flavor every month so doesn't surprise me. I, I did walk across the street uh, when I was leaving the JW Marriott with a group of SBCers, and I was wearing a shirt that said "Heavy on the fuck racism." They didn't talk to me, but I didn't talk to them. Um, so it was an interesting, an interesting moment. Um, but uh, it doesn't surprise me that they're having yet again another identity crisis. Um, I don't see it ending anytime soon, but same with the United Methodists, you know, there's a, you've got, this is the problem I have with, with this is that it's all a neoliberal agenda, traditionalists and progressives. They're both neoliberal and they don't reflect my theological values. And, and if people would consider liberationist frameworks, you would get out of this identity problem that so many people are having, but um, you know, it's too much Marxism for people. Well, too much Marxism and it requires of them um, not just affording seats at the table for um, black folk and brown folk and queer folk. It, it requires of them to remove the tables that they've been sitting at before and allow the black folk and the brown folk and the queer folk to actually bring their own tables in and set the table and invite the white folks to it. Right. And and that in and of itself from a liberationist standpoint is a really, really hard pill to swallow for, yeah. for these, um, you know, predominantly white uh, denominational, you know, units. And so I think yeah, it's a culmination and a combination of things, but it's, uh, it is, it is a recurring theme as we yeah. know, and yeah. it's not going to end anytime soon, but I was just curious of your thoughts on it. So we are really excited this week. Um, we are welcoming to the activist theology podcast, a guest that, um, we have known for a few years now and has a, a wonderful podcast on the networks that some of you that listen to the Activist Theology podcast may be aware of. 
we are welcoming Blake Chastain, who is the host of the Exvangelical podcast and the Powers and Principalities podcast. Um, Blake is a um, an amazing human who really kind of um, coined the term exvangelical um, more than five years ago when he started this podcast of his. And we're going to talk with Blake a little bit about some of the projects that he's a part of. We're going to talk with him about kind of how he finds himself in the work now. Um, and we, uh, we might, uh, we might have a little bit of extra something, something that we're going to share with our listeners soon. So, or a lot of something, a lot of something, something. Blake Chastain, welcome to the Activist Theology Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very happy to be here. Well, we are really thrilled that you're with us. Um, I would love for you to expand a little bit on what I've already said about you and about the the work that you're doing in the world. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about the podcast, about who you are and how you come at this work um, and why folks should be paying attention to you. Yeah, yeah. And thank you so much for those kind words. They were exceptionally kind. And I hope that I... Uh, I and I, I, I receive them. It's, I, I don't know if it's just a, a Midwestern thing or a personal thing, but I, I have a hard time accepting compliments and kind words. And thank you very much for saying them. Um, so my shows, uh, my, my primary show is Exvangelical. Uh, and I really started the, what motivated me to start that show, uh, was really just to try and explore in a, in a public forum, why so many people is sort of within my cohort, uh, generational cohort, that sort of thing. People that I knew even loosely um, through Facebook and other places that I went to Christian college with. Um, I went to Indiana Wesleyan University um, from 2001 to 2005. And over the following decade, I saw that a lot of us had struggled to find our place within white evangelicalism and then often just left. Um, and really what I wanted, um, what motivated me to have these public conversations, there's a lot of personal things that, that happened, you know, different things within, uh, within churches of trying to make, uh, trying to fit within the confines of, uh, white evangelicalism, um, and that not working and leading to tense church situations and things like that. Um, now, Robin and I wouldn't know anything <laughs> about that. <laughs> <laughs> but really, what it, but really, I mean, my motivating factor is, is just trying to explore uh, oftentimes these sort of liminal spaces that people find themselves in when they, when they undergo what now, um, over the last few years, because of podcasts like yours and, and mine and so many others that have proliferated, we have this common sort of language of deconstruction um, or faith shifts or whatever, however you might want to term it. Um, and really my, uh, my purpose starting out was just to have those open-ended conversations to explore where people came from, what caused them to leave, and where they are now. And that, that sort of remains an animating question because of the very things that that you both were talking about um about the united methodist church that's how i grew up um the southern baptist church all of these things that that continue to 
um, cause problems for these churches because they stay committed to these theologies and these practices that that people within their churches are learning to no longer accept. Um, and to me, that giving language to that and giving um, giving an opportunity for people to tell their stories is very empowering and has led to some really um, illuminating conversations. Well, we love Exvangelical. Um, I've been a listener for years and um, have the thing I love best about Exvangelical is that it's a, a podcast that allows the skip around factor, which you know, not all podcasts do. Um, I'm, I love the ability to pick and choose like who <laughs> sure. I want to hear from what week I want to hear it. Right. And so, you know, I may go a couple of weeks without listening and then I can come back and decide where I want to start and pick up wherever I'd like, which, um, yeah. I really find, I, I find good for my personal ADD brain. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, I'm grateful for that. Tell us a little bit about, um, the other work that you're doing in, in the world, um, where do you, where do you see your work as, um, a, a, a public profit from a, from a standpoint of this kind of deconstructionist mentality? What, what other kind of work besides the podcast are you, are you engaged in right now? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, the, the way I've tried to think of it for a while, and I think there are two two key values um, to probably like potential audiences for this type of work. One is the one is the group of people that come from this and come from these environments and are trying to process and understand where um where they where they came from and what happened to them and where they want to go now, and so for that particular particular audience, it's a very personal type of thing. And so for someone to hear the term evangelical or to find uh, stories of people who've gone through similar things, um, that is a key reason why I personally continue to do this type of thing because prior to um, prior to these last few years and just the advent of tools like social media and things as simple as hashtags, um, those types of testimonies, and I will use the word testimony in this, in this context, um, is were, were sort of hard to find. You know, it was sort of like this whisper network of, and, and so many people saying, you know, I thought I was the only one who felt this way. When really, when you think about it, it, it stretches back. 10, 20, 30 years. Um, Diana Butler Bass was writing, you know, books like Strength for the Journey, which was very much a memoir about leaving evangelicalism in 2001, 2002. Uh, Julie Ingersoll was writing about the struggles of white evangelical women. Um, and I mean, there are so many other aspects that is not just confined to white evangelicalism. Um, the reason why I speak to, I'm speaking to that in particular. Uh, is just because it's my particular background. And to segue into my other piece and the other focus is that it's those white evangelical groups that need to be held publicly accountable. And so there, there is a significant part of 
my public work that is about being able to contextualize the motivations of white evangelicals for audiences that have no particular bearing and don't understand what it is about about why 81% of white evangelicals would vote for Trump. And like, I I will admit, like if you listen to the early episodes, I started the podcast in July of 2016. Um, I was, I was taken aback by, by that level of support because I did want them to, you know, listen to the better angels of their nature, but they, they don't tend to do that. <laughs> and so that's the other part of this work is to be able to contextualize the impact that these organizations have, um, that these major institutions have, um, in the, in the world and especially here in the United States and through all of their other international, um, connections. Um, that's turned into my other podcast project, Powers and Principalities, um, which speaks, whereas Exvangelical speaks to personal experiences, Powers and Principalities looks at those systems and institutions. Um, the first season was about Christian nationalism and the next season that I'll, that I'm still in the research phase for will be about how white evangelicals use media. Um, so those, those are the two sort of primary focuses. And then there's other things like, um, the exvangelical Facebook group and subgroups, which, uh, I help administer with a handful of other wonderful volunteer uh, moderators and administrators that help to try to make that a place where people can find others that, uh, that are processing these same sort of things or have these similar backgrounds. So I have a question just about language. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not a linguist by trade, um, but I, but I am very interested in this term ex-evangelical. In my, in my sort of long history of studying things like excommunication, mm-hmm. excommunication is not just being thrown out of community. It's, it's actually designed as an accountability practice to re-invite you into community. And I... I, for a long time, um, was trying to understand the language of exvangelical. On the surface, I get it. But is there any intention of looking at evangelicalism as something to return to? Is 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 that a, even a possibility? Mm. That is a fascinating question. Um, so I, I do think of, um, I have spent some time thinking about what I mean with the, with a term like exvangelical. Um, and if you don't mind, I will try to give like my working definition and then try to speak to that return to part. Cause Great. I think part Great. of it, um, the, the way in which I think of it uh, is that there's like four sort of key um, values. Um, values probably not the right word. Um, four key things that are, are helpful about the term um, exvangelical. Uh, the first one is that it is uh, it helps to know you aren't alone. And as an identifier, um, 
it just sort of grounds you in relation to a place where you came from. Mm-hmm. Um, second, it is a clear repudiation of today's white evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in that, um, in that it's a little different. And I think that partially answers your question. Um, the other two things that I think are valuable about the term is that it also, um, it to me, it also should uh, value personal autonomy and also um, to use a sociological term that I've learned through the course of uh, doing this doing this podcast and talking to people who have specialties that I don't. I learned the term total institution, um, okay. and the thing about to me, ex-evangelical, it should not require all of you like white evangelicalism does. Um, so total institution means, um, you know, that it's something that has claim on your entire life, your personal life, your social life, your mental life, your spiritual life, all of these things. And to me, um, you should be able to distinguish and, and like the ex-evangelical lifestyle should not be <laughs> like, like yeah. an all-encompassing thing. To get back to your question about whether um, whether that means like re-entering communion or participation in evangelicalism, whether it's white evangelicalism in particular or some other form of evangelicalism, that's a really good question. And to me, I think um, it would require, honestly, probably more from the people that continue to lead those organizations um, then I would be willing, like they would be the ones that would need to, (laughs) to compromise, I think Um, because it should, because many people, when they move away from evangelicalism, it's because their own personal theology is moving them to a place of more of broader affirmation, right? Um, A broader, uh, you know, that that idea um, from like a real key poem of living your life in widening circles to me, white evangelicalism over the last, even over the last, since the fifties, 1950s has become a series of more and more constrictive circles. Um, and I don't know whether like, and I know um, Robin, you've uh, some of our exchanges on Twitter and things, you've talked about being a bridge builder and Part of me, I'm I'm mostly interested in building bridges to the people that have for the people that have left to where they're going next. My particular work, I think, is not necessarily about building bridges back to where we came from. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I, you know, I have this. Uh, well, let me just say, you know, I, I grew up Southern Baptist. I left the church uh, when I was living in Chicago. Um, I keep leaving the church and the church keeps, I've preached more times in the past five years than I've ever, <laughs> I've ever intended. The church is pursuing you. Yeah. One would say, um, you know, but I have this thing, I have this thing about, is there an ability to reclaim evangelicalism? Mm-hmm. Evangelicalism doesn't belong to white men. No, you're right. Right? And so I have, there's there's a part of me that would like to go home, mm-hmm. but I know that I live in Nepantla, in this neither nor space, 
where I can't go home. Yeah. And, and the thing that I continue to have to do is make a way out of no way, as the womanists say. Mm-hmm. So I asked that question from a place of so many of us are without walls mm-hmm. in terms of a spiritual life. Yeah. Uh, as a trans queer Latinx who is an academic, but doing more in the public square than I ever intended to. I am also an academic without an institution. So I'm sort of doubly compromised when it comes to being unhoused. Yeah. And, and that that's no way to be in a world that is as brutal as this world is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, that we've landed kind of in this area of conversation because I, I too, I, I am, I, I am like, or I'm with you, Blake, in this understanding of, um, kind of a, a, an, there, there has to be someone kind of on the going backside that's willing, um, to not just kind of open the gate, but also kind of take down the fence completely and Mm -hmm. take down the walls completely. Um, but for me, it, it more easily affirms in me the need for a reimagination of our capacity to reclaim the word as Robin has stated. I mean, if we are going to the basics and the roots of evangelical, I mean, it is according to the teachings of the gospel, Mm -hmm. according to the teachings of the gospel, these, these, you know, works of story that have provided us with the life and legacy of a Jewish rabbi uh, whom those that identify themselves currently as evangelical have always been called to follow and yet are finding themselves farther and farther and farther away from when it comes to um, being one with the teachings and the true call of Jesus. Yeah. Um, And so it's, if we are going to reclaim evangelical, it really does constitute a reimagination, um, a reimagination of the word um, and and a, an ability to rename what is now known as um, evangelicalism in mm-hmm. a way that um, really identifies them for for what they are, which is um, you know white supremacist, inerrant, biblical followers who may or may not identify with the teachings of Jesus based on the social policy that you're, that you're discussing with them at the time. And so, you know, what, what does, what do they become in order for us to reclaim evangelical or if we aren't able to redefine evangelicals currently, what term is also as close to the same meaning of being in accordance with the gospel, being in accordance with the teachings of this rabbi that we can 
claim and identify as instead right. of being not like what is it what is it that we hold um, in yeah. common and 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 there's yeah. I mean there's so much like baggage and shit around all of that oh, um, sure. which makes it you know virtually impossible to to hash out on a one hour podcast <laughs> I mean I think if we can get there in you know in this in this uh, episode I'm game but I don't, I don't know that we well can. <laughs> well I wonder if that's a great segue because we're going to be spending some more time with Blake. That's right. In a, in a, in a, in a sort of, in, in, with more community. And so there actually may be time to hash out that discussion. There may That's be right. time. So friends, yeah. we have been, we have been teasing for the last several weeks that we had a very big announcement to make today. And Blake is very intentionally with us today <laughs> on this episode because of that announcement, um, Blake, why don't you share with our listeners this new, the, your newest project, and um, let folks know what it, what else you're up to in the world? Yeah. So, as some of you who followed this show may know, um, and if you follow my show and others, um, I and a handful of other podcasters have recently started what's what we're calling the Irreverent Media Group. And what that is, is a collection of podcasts that are working together um, that have uh, related sort of goals or, or types of discussions about things relative to society and culture and religion and, and all of those different things. And the, the thing that's valuable about it is the variety of perspectives um, that, that are brought to bear on these issues that we find ourselves dealing with. And I'm super excited that Activist Theology is going to be joining the Irreverent Media Group um, and will be a part of that and will be adding to the discussions and conversations um, that the other podcasts are having. So I am super thrilled that that you all have agreed yeah. uh, to join the, the Irreverent Media Group or what we often just shorten to IMG. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting for us because we, when we started, well, let me just say that the Activist Theology Project will be three years old in July. And the podcast has just been in existence for a year and a half and you know the activist theology project is was created to to try to to try to do relationships differently in the world and the fact that we have a chance as podcast co-hosts which is a public theology initiative of our collaborative project, the chance that we have to bring our podcast into greater dynamic relationship, not only is in alignment with our values and mission of our collaborative project, but it just means that we're able to get our hands dirty in these new and generative ways to try to do good in the world. And I am very excited for this. Same, same. Me too. And I, and for all the reasons that you just said, Robin, like so much of these, these conversations that you're having uh, that other members of the current lineup of Reverend Media Group are having 
are so valuable and they, you know, to, to invoke a bit of proverbs or what have you, iron sharpens iron. Right. (laughs) And so, um, so really that's, that is the hope is that, that through working together publicly and as, uh, as this, this group, which is operating as a sort of federation of podcasts that, uh, we will have as a group, we have access to some things like, um, like some other monetization tools that we might not have. Um, all of these things that, that when the rubber hits the road, you do have to, uh, take into account when you're doing a creative project. Um, all of these things are just, it's so great that we are all doing this together. And to me, it is, it's also very exciting because, Sometimes as you, as both of you know, it, it can feel when you're just grinding away between podcasts or what have you, it can feel a little lonely, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. knowing that there are other people that are doing other similar projects and that uh, are, have a vested interest in your own, in, in your show succeeding and your project succeeding, um, to me, the, those are the sorts of things that, that really animate me and get, get me excited to continue to do this type of work. Mm. Well, we love the Irreverent Media Group. We love the folks that are a part of it. Uh, just for those of you that are interested in hearing who is a part of this group so far, um, we are now partnered with Blake, of course, as you know, uh, here on this episode. Um, Tori Douglas is the host of White Homework. Uh, Kevin Garcia is um, the host of A Tiny Revolution. Adrian Gibbs and Josh Link host the podcast Dirty Rotten Church Kids. Justin Gentry is the co-host of an upcoming show with Tori. (laughs) This is one of my favorite titles that is Go Home Bible, you're drunk. And they, they have started uh, releasing episodes. So that is out there. So excited. That is out there. You can subscribe now. <laughs> so uh, Reverend Sarah Heath, who is another um, fellow United Methodist pastor, is the co-host of Making Spaces um, alongside Josephine Jimenez. Um, we are going to be... Uh, working with the hosts of a People's Theology and with the hosts of Straight White American Jesus, Bradley and Mason. So we are, we feel really um, blessed to be in such amazing company. We're thrilled to add to um, the voices of the Irreverent Media Group. And we're thrilled to just, as you said, to, to, to do this work alongside people who will not just allow for the voices of those of us that are grinding to, to do so in a, in a more intentional way, but also to remind ourselves that we're not alone in this work and that right. we, we need one another and we require um, both the energy and um, the goodwill of one another to, to keep these, to keep these things on the rails. Mm-hmm. So we're really thrilled. Yeah, I'm. We're all. I am speaking for myself, and I am super excited. And I know that all the other members are that are not on this call are also super excited to have you on board as well. the The good news is you don't have to do anything. We're doing all. <laughs> well, not me, but Blake and and our good friend Tanner. 
um, they, the guys are taking care of the feed. So you should not experience any disruption wherever you get your podcast. You will still be able to access it. You'll hear a little <laughs> bit right. of new jingle jangle in the beginning and in the end, but the content will still be um, high quality. We'll still have guests on. We're going to try to get some of the folks from Irreverent Media Group to join our podcast so that we can cross-pollinate and spread the word. And and really, as, as I grew up, you know, in a Mexican American home, uh, really do things in conjunto and, and try to foster an ethics of in conjunto. Uh, we're very excited about it. Um, I know that Ann and I, we just could not wait to make this announcement. Um, we're probably going to drink a little bourbon to celebrate the announcement when this, when this is over. Um, but I, I'm really curious if we can spend the, the remainder of our time talking about the importance of discourse and content creation, mm -hmm. uh, especially in a gig economy. Um, you know, I just, I just talked with my bookkeeper and accountant today and she told me how much I need to be paying um, for estimated taxes, you know, and I'm like, why am I paying so many taxes and on the grind and on the hustle when people like Elon Musk and, um, who's the Amazon dude? Um, Bezos, like, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, Jeff Bezos, <laughs> um, who's not paying any taxes, you know? And I'm like, here we are trying to dedicate our lives to social healing, to try to eradicate supremacy culture, to try to um, not reform, but liberate institutions from the bullshit and people from the bullshit. And yet we are... We, we, we labor in such a way that we sometimes don't make ends meet. And, and I, I feel very curious, Blake, you know, how are you able to participate in this gig economy? How are you able to create? And do you ever get tired? Oh yeah. Yeah. Those are all great questions. And I'm, um, I, I have definitely, you know, uh, had experiences with, with burnout and things like that. I will say that the reason why I'm able to make content is that, um, I have a full-time job and so does my wife. Um, uh, we, we have, we have, uh, a child. Um, and so like we, we can't like, and we're also in our late thirties. It's not the type the, the, phase of life where we can take really big financial risks without, um, without planning for those sorts of things. Um, so that's, that's sort of how I'm, when it comes to making content, that's how I'm able to do it is because I have other things. And I mean, I would love to, for this to be my, uh, you know, my, my full-time work and, uh, and commit more time to it. Um, and, all that, all that said, though, like uh, it, it isn't p things relative to the gig economy, as well as like just who gets an audience, um, who is able to monetize their audience. A lot of times, that is really 
um, that is really sort of scattershot. Uh, like I just to, you know, go back to some of the discourse around, uh, say exvangelical and how there can be a lot, some media attention, uh, paid to it. Um, there can be, you know, headlines around it. And, but that doesn't mean that it results in enough, like that social capital doesn't mean that I have enough capital to do this full time. <laughs> um, whereas white evangelical institutions are extremely moneyed, um, and are able to underwrite a lot of things. Um, so, um, it is, it, there is that level of grind and burnout can be real. And, um, as I'm sure both of you know, like whenever your, uh, whenever your passion project can intersect with something like your spiritual or theological beliefs, if something happens in your life that sort of shakes up <laughs> those beliefs, um, it can make it difficult to engage too, uh, even personally. Um, I know even through the process over the last five years of doing this, I've undergone significant changes in my own belief. Um, and that has impacted that, but that's getting off. <laughs> I, I would like to, uh, to kick it back to both of you and hear, hear how you feel about it. Because to me, the reason why I, why I am so excited about even the prospect and promise of IMG, which is very new. I mean, we just announced it in April. We're talking in June. It's very, very recent. Um, what I'm just excited over the the possibility of starting to build the foundation for us to make this work more financially sustainable. Um, but nonetheless, I, I do want to kick, but uh, hear from both of you. I feel like I've been talking too much. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that there are, there, I resonate so much with what you've said, Blake. Um, and I also, you know, come at this work with a story of my own that is both, um, some of which has been intentional and some of which has not. I mean, I, I'll never forget when I was in, I, so the listeners, most of the listeners know this, but, um, in addition to being a pastor, if people ask me, um, what I am, like what I do for a living or how I would describe myself, my answer is I'm a creative. I, um, have an undergrad in graphic design and illustration. I love mm-hmm. to paint. I am an artist, a fine, a, a fine artist and a, and a digital artist in every sense of the word. And it is the one skill that has never left me regardless of where I found myself, um, you know, doing a multitude of, of different kinds of things over the last um, several decades of my career. When I was in high school and I, told my parents that I wanted to go and get my bachelor of fine arts degree. Um, my, they, they were not pleased because their response to me was that I would, I would never, I would never make any money. They were, they're scared to death that I was going to live with them for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And ultimately my career in graphic design took me to um, you know, being the VP of creative for a large consumer products company, I was um, making stupid money. I was traveling all the time. It was everything that I had always said I wanted. 
in the world that I had created for myself. And all of a sudden, it, it wasn't what I wanted at all. And so I, you know, answered my call to ministry and, and really started analyzing how I was going to find a way to do this work in the world in a way that allowed me to still continue to contribute to the household, but also didn't sacrifice my need for creative um, output and my need to be in a creative space, um, really at all times. And so, you know, right, wrong, or indifferently, I have kind of re-pieced my life together after I left this corporate job in a way that has allowed me to um, more adequately fill my soul, but it has in absolutely no way allowed me to feel um, any remote level of comfort as it relates to how I'm going to make ends meet when the bills come due on the first and the 15th of the month. Right. And so it's, it's an interesting space to be in, right? I mean, I, I am, uh, your story is different than my story is different than, you know, Robin's story, which we'll hear in a, in a second, but I, I believe so strongly in our need for community in our need for um, an ethics of liberation and, and my own personal need for my faith and um, my own personal ethical adherence to the gospel to be intertwined with my creativity that I am, I am unable anymore to sell myself out to the highest bidder. Um, Mm. When I was in my twenties and in my thirties, it was very easy for me to say yes to whatever gigs and jobs and opportunities came along um, because I, I was a whore for the dollar. Um, I believed that capitalism was one of the pieces of the world that was going to save me. Um, I know I'm no longer that way. I no longer, I can no longer see that there's a, that there's an opportunity for um, the love of money, the desire for more money to be in any way, a soul filler in my, in my being. And yet as much as I would love to get away from this capitalist um, hamster wheel, we are all, subjected to playing our own role in, in the game. Right. And so my biggest, my biggest desire in both my work with active theology and in the other pieces and parts of the life, the life that I have is to find a way to intertwine those things in a way that still continues to make me feel as if I'm, um, and, and to affirm the, the work that I, that I'm attempting to do and, and, and contribute to. Right. But also allow the creativity within me to be as um, free flowing and as unencumbered and unhindered as possible. Right. You know, my, my story is 
I never intended to be doing any of what I am doing now. I have three degrees in theology, undergrad, and then two graduate degrees that culminated in a PhD. And I, I really thought that I would be in some institutional setting, teaching and writing, hopefully doing more reading and writing with the door closed mm-hmm. than up in front of people. <laughs> right. And now my life is comprised of an audience. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I struggle with every day is I don't have a stick. It, I, I just am like, I mean, Anne and I were talking earlier about podcast guests. And I, I, I said, you know, I don't want certain people on because it's a neoliberal agenda. And I am not interested in advancing progressive liber- liberal ideology. You want to have a liberationist on? You want to have a Marxist on? Great. You know, and and that and people people don't like that. People want to consume the shtick. People want the humor, the stand up, the story. Uh, people actually don't want to think. I I think. And I've been trained to think and think critically and think across disciplines. And so I do that in my public life and it is not profitable. Right. And to that point, right? There are so there are many there are people like you Robin who have dedicated so much time to the pursuit of academia and then academia did not support you in return. Right. Right. The the institution itself was eroded to the point where the liberal arts were devalued uh right and the liberal arts um didn't really develop the sort of the sort of job pipeline that stem right. has right. all of these different these these major things and the the last refuge once you take away all of these inst- institutional protections is what capitalism right and that's for many for many things it's just it's like it's just casino right you know you are you are one other and potential impression on twitter or instagram or facebook or whatever and that's not that's not easy (laughs) right and like you know you have to people have to eat and people deserve to eat whether you know uh, everybody deserves to eat everybody deserves a home um so until we um are able to build potential viable and resilient alternatives to these sorts of things, then we are going to have to cobble together some parts of capitalism in order to, to make things work. Right. Because I mean, as you said, Robin earlier, you were talking about your taxes. Like uh, if I don't reinvest everything that I make from Patreon and Substack, which I have like, I I make a a little bit, a little bit per year, you know, it's not enough to live on. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for that support. But if I don't reinvest it, I I am penalized <laughs> um, right. and have to pay quite a bit and uh, extra in taxes <laughs> because of that. Um, and as you said earlier, that's just that's just wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so like so, all of these things sort of 
our intention between these these extremely valuable and inherently valuable projects that um, that we're doing, and uh, the difficulty of having to take care of things like money, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like until we get to that Star Trek post post money economy um, <laughs> type type place socially, like right. uh, we, we, we should be talking about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know. Um, the only, like, I don't, I, the only um, exposure I had really in grad school to John Cobb was um, a book he wrote with an economist um, for the common good. Um, he's John Cobb is a process theologian and he wrote, uh, and he, and that book posits what they call a steady state economy. One that's not built on consumption that is healthy for people and the overall environment. Right. And we're, we're nowhere near that. Um, so for the time being, uh, since we are doing these public facing projects that can't be funded by places like academia, um, we're we we need to experiment you know and mm-hmm. find ways to uh to make it possible to to continue yeah. to invest in our work and to care for ourselves yeah i mean you know we are a we are a nation we're a world we are a world that has been built um through the imagination of creators um we are we have um every ounce of architectural wonder that is a part of this world is because there were creators that, that were, that had the capacity to imagine and then creators that had the capacity to understand engineering in a way that isn't just simply um, a, a numbers game, but is a numbers game that, um, couples with gravity that couples with structural capacity that couples with environment. Um, We have so devalued creativity um, in, from an institutional standpoint. I mean, our, our government is not kind to creatives. Um, We have a, a tax structure that makes it very hard for anyone who is, a, a sole proprietor or who, um, you know, works as a, a contractor to, to live and not be consumed by the IRS in a way that, that makes life more difficult for them. We are deprioritizing the arts in our schools um, mm-hmm. over and over and over again and are allowing and this is a, a, a totally different conversation, but, you know, we're allowing the Supreme Court to have conversations around the ability for college athletes to make money off of a sport that and, and a talent that they have. But we won't prioritize the creative arts within the schools that those colleges are uh, are making so much money off of a Saturday fo- football game. I mean, it's just this really inadequate and unequitable balance of um, of energy around where we have put our focus. Mm-hmm. And, and that just makes things all the more difficult for folks like us who, right. who really believe that the, that our ability to write and tell stories and, and 
create imagery and, um, you know, and, and sing and, and produce, um, you know, amazing video, all of the things that come into the, the, the realm of creativity for us as humans, it just makes it very difficult for us to continue to be able to do the things that we're called to do that our hearts need to do that, that the world needs us to do when when systems and and principalities are against us at every turn right yeah and that just that sense of precarity that like if you remove the precarity what could be possible yeah i mean i would love to have that conversation yeah you know i i the consumerism is is the prevailing ethic in in this world and people don't want to consume critical thought or critical thinking people want to consume a laughable story or a story that makes you feel good and they want to consume the horror and virgin stories but any anything outside of that they don't want to consume, which is why we persist in this hamster wheel. And so you have people like us who are trying to create content that is actually thoughtful and meaningful and helping people live a better life, right? It's grounded in theology and ethics, but is not profitable because it makes you analyze yourself. Mm-hmm. in your surroundings and and that doesn't sell yeah yeah i mean it, it's it's such a it and there are so many different ways in which these things have uh have manifested and people do try to uh, uh you know sort of address this inequity um i know right. like robin uh you and i have gone back and forth a little bit on Twitter, just specifically just about, let's talk about a, a, a platform tool, Substack. Yeah. You know, Substack is yeah. what I use. Like I have a very, uh, I mean, I started publishing in earnest my, some more writing and trying to build a, um, a newsletter last year. And like 2020 is probably not the best year to do that. What have you. Um, so like it, it's still, it's a new list. It's less than, uh, you know, fewer than a thousand, uh, overall subscribers, um, as of right now. But I mean, even that, that particular, um, that particular platform, if you look at that as a microcosm, um, it's become this crazy controversial type thing because they are, <laughs> because they offer, big advances to already big names like mm-hmm. um, like people like Matt Iglesias and Glenn Greenwald and um, and all of these other people that they incentivize to come to their platform to build the platform um, and then they sell this idea to creators who have smaller or niche audiences and say oh you can monetize this you are going to have to give us 10% of this on top of the payment processing fee um, and all of these other all of these other things that just when those economies of scale only work for the top five, 10% right. at, at most. Right. Um, and so it's really difficult. Like the, then it gets back to the grind. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so like in order to grow, if you don't have the, the 
Um, if you're doing this independent from jump, you're not jumping for, to Substack from the New York Times or BuzzFeed or a Vox publication. Um, you know, you you are starting from scratch, and so like that that dream, uh, you know, of of sustainability, it's just a really difficult dream dream to achieve. Right. And that doesn't mean it's not worth um, it's not worth pursuing. I don't. What what I don't know if there is a clear connection is between the producers of that content and how much it how much it requires to to do all that, mm-hmm. um, and and the people that consume it. Like mm-hmm. uh, and so like even though there's all these ways to monetize content, um, to to your points, I I still feel like <laughs> in some ways it's it's still either undervalued or people don't realize how much goes into this, especially from an independent creator perspective. Right. Uh, and you know, we all, and we have to use where we have to use this terminology of independent creator um, because it's what's sort of in, in the ether right now. Mm-hmm. And also I do think one thing that, um, that makes this even more difficult for projects like this is that the creator economy is, in a lot of ways, a secularized version of church, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, of, of direct support through tithing or through whatever else. Right. So if you're running into someone's trauma about, um, right. around, around, uh, <laughs> giving uh. to a church, then Jesus, that just got a lot harder to sell. Yeah, that just yeah. really, that really made me feel a certain kind of way, Blake. Like I just had one of those moments of, like oh uh, <laughs> man you're so right though you're so right and i mean it's a legitimate trauma you can't like say oh you know like your your hesitance to to give money to someone in to you know in a reciprocal relationship <laughs> like sure i get why you would rather uh someone pursue advertisers but it's also hard to get advertisers if you're uh, if you're starting out and your downloads are below 5,000 to 10,000 uh, per episode within the first four to six weeks. Right. Uh, and like, no, if you're not a podcaster, you don't know those metrics off the top of your head. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, this has been, this has been a conversation that's, um, that has been much needed for, I think for, yeah. for, for, it's been needed for my heart, but it's also been really important. I think for all of us, um, that are doing this work on a real base on a real and regular and, and, and consistent basis to, um, identify some of the challenges around the making and the creating and yeah. the grind of the work. Yes. Um, but this is a joyous, episode. It really is. It's an episode where Robin and I have gotten to announce our um, joining into the Irreverent Media Group um, and to share in this exciting project that you and your other um, co-creators of this group are, are doing in the world. And we're really, really thrilled to be a part of it. We're glad that you um, took some time to join us on this episode and to announce um, this partnership today. And um, I'd love for you to share um, with our folks how they can find you, how they can find the podcast, what 
where are the best places to touch base with you? Do you want, uh, are you best to be tweeted at? Are you best to be, <laughs> uh, should we slip into your DMs? Like where, where, where should our, where should our listeners um, touch base with you, Blake? Yes. Thank you so much for, for uh, inviting me on today. I'm super excited um, for, for activist theology to join IMG. Uh, and I do want to just say, even though, you know, <laughs> I felt like I got dark there at the end, uh, even though there are these things that, that the grind can be real. It, the reason why uh, I do it, why Robin and Anna do this show for you is because it, mean something to them. And so don't, don't lose sight of that. (laughs) So I do want to try to bring that back up, um, in that regard, because that is why, why we, we all do it. You're exactly right. You can find my shows wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple, somewhere else. Um, you just search for exvangelical for that show and then powers and principalities, um, that is a season-based show, so um, the full season, um, fun season about uh, white evangelicalism and Christian nationalism is just waiting for you to dig into. Mm. With fun some, with an asterisk. <laughs> with, some, uh, with some great guests uh, in that season. Um, I'm, my primary online vehicle is Twitter. Uh, you can follow me there at brchastain. And if you want to support these shows, as we talked about, um, you Right now, uh, you can do that through Substack um, at uh, postevangelicalpost.substack.com. And the name of the newsletter is the Post Evangelical Post because all my ideas begin as puns. Um, and if you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and check out Irreverent uh, underscore FM on Instagram to follow all the other shows uh, that are a part of the network as well. And soon you will see Activist Theology Podcast as a part of that list. So we're really, really thrilled. Blake, this has been an amazing time with you. And we're really glad to be a part of the group. We're glad that you um, and and the rest of the irreverent team um, believed us to be equally irreverent to to join in. And... um, Friends, don't forget that um, you can follow Activist Theology on all of the socials where you um, find us at Activist Theology. Don't forget that Activist and Theology share a T. And Dr. Robin and I will be back next week, um, no longer together in the same house, but I'm sure full of stories to tell you about our week together, our week of fun and frivolity in Chattanooga. Um, And I have no doubt that there will be stories included (laughs) with uh, with that. And let's not forget to remind people to sign up for the Austin show. Yes. We are going to be in Austin, Texas, live on August the 6th. You can register free of charge. Um, We just need you to register so that we know how many folks are going to be there because of COVID protocols. But you can do that for free. Um, Just go to activisttheology.com and uh, click on the gatherings you will see everything you need to know about the Austin event, the time, the location. Um, we'll be sharing the guests with you soon. It's not going to just be Robin and I. We're going to have some fun folks join us on stage. And you can participate in a live recording of the Activist Theology podcast if you join us in Austin, Texas in August. Dr. Robin, there's a lot of work to do in the world, a lot of ways that we can still get our hands dirty. 
um, liberation is within reach if we keep our eye on it. Let's get free, y'all. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. So early, they show me no.